You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly. Has Watson. He's got it on his feet and he's in it for the touchdown. That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career. Christian Watson, you can see him. It's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And on today's show, we're going to break down the edge position. We're going to talk about all of the edge defenders that are currently on the Green Bay Packers roster. And we're going to look at their salary cap hits. We're going to look at the structure of some of the contracts and talk about where we could free up some money from the edge position and, and really kind of talk about um, the importance of uh, of solidifying that position moving forward. You know, you guys have heard me talk about we need a D tackle, <clears throat> we need a safety, we need a tight end, right? Um, we need another wide receiver. Offensive line, I personally feel like interior offensive line should be uh, should be the target there. Let's leave Zach Tom at right tackle, let him grow and get better at that position. And we should know by mid to late, uh, you know, 2023, whether or not he can handle that, you know, once you get into that second year and you start to kind of take that step forward. Um, so for me, those are the needs right now. It's real simple. Safety, D tackle. And, you know, one thing I, I didn't look at was edge. I'm hearing a lot of people talking about drafting an edge, right? And then after I got through doing this exercise and diving into all of the numbers and, and kind of how the edge room looks, man, I'm on board with it now. Like that's that needs to be one of the top needs uh, of this team because you got Preston Smith, who's already cracked the age of 30. Now he's under contract for four years, including <clears throat> 2023, right? So, uh, you know, this year and then three more after that. Of course, the cap hit number or the uh, dead cap number goes down significantly each year. We'll talk about that, uh, making it easier to cut him as you get later into his contract. But, uh, man, you know, with with Rashawn Gary coming in the season injured, probably not going to be available till midseason, I would imagine. Now, you guys know his work ethic. I wouldn't be surprised if Rashawn Gary's back week one. I'm not saying I expect that. I just know 
the guy's work ethic, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I don't think it's realistic for any other human being, but if you see the way that guy uh, builds on his craft and puts in the time, um, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised. But I'm expecting midseason for him to be back. Okay, so um, with that being said, I mean, yeah, it, it really opened my eyes. So <clears throat> I don't want to say I was wrong by not – keying in on the edge position because we hadn't got to that portion yet uh, doing this offseason exercise and trying to determine, hey, what do we really need to be looking for in the draft and in free agency? But uh, uh, after I've done it, man, it's uh, it's a pretty glaring need. So we're going to kind of talk about that. And no better way to kick off the edge position um, episode than to talk about two of the greats, right? One being Clay Matthews and the other being Kevin Green. Um, Kevin Green, you guys know, um, I think I had done a, a history segment on him just talking about the things that he accomplished. And he's such a underappreciated player. You know, you know, obviously he passed away a few years ago. Uh, so, uh, you know, it sucks when you lose a legend like that. And I, I never really heard the cause of death. Um, not that it really matters when it comes to his legacy, obviously. But uh, the man was just uh, an amazing person. He was teaching his son how to play. Um, you know, kind of coaching him along his own personal coach while he was in college. And I grew up <clears throat> somewhat of a Pittsburgh Steelers fan in the 90s. And you guys know I didn't become an NFL fan until 2003. But my brother was a huge Steelers fan. He grew up in the 70s. So he got to see that whole dynasty. And he, one of his favorite players was Kevin Green. When they brought Kevin Green over to Pittsburgh and obviously had him line up opposite Greg Lloyd, and they were called the Blitzburg defense, right? And that was under Dom Capers. Then when Dom Capers came to the Green Bay Packers, you know, I immediately called my brother and was like, hey, man, guess who the new defensive coordinator is? And it caught a lot of people off guard. They didn't expect the success that Dom was going to have there early. It didn't catch me off guard at all because I knew what the fire zone blitz was. I knew what that zone blitz scheme was because I grew up watching Pittsburgh with my brother. And I told him it's Dom Capers. I said, guess who else you brung over? Darren Perry. He's like, oh, the old safety? Absolutely. Guess who else he brought over? Kevin freaking Green. Allen was through the roof, man. My brother Allen, he was like, holy cow, dude, that's awesome. So you go out and you draft Clay Matthews, and you have this great edge rusher, this great outside linebacker who could not only rush the quarterback. That's what's crazy about his stats, you know, when it comes to Kevin Green. He's right there at the top of the list, up towards the top for sacks. But so many times he dropped in the coverage when they were running that fire zone blitz. And when he came in, he was trying to teach Aaron Campman how to do that. And he was he was telling Aaron Campman, like, listen, dude, you've got to be able to rush the quarterback like an edge defender. You've got to be able to play inside and play the run like an inside linebacker. You've got to be able to drop into coverage like a safety, like a hard-hitting safety. And that's what he was trying to teach these edge defenders. So no, no one better than, than someone who's – been uh, in the trenches himself, right? And Dom Capers knew that. But one of my favorite moments as a Green Bay Packer fan was uh, in the Super Bowl there in twenty in the twenty ten season. Um, the uh, spill it, pick it, spill it <clears throat> play, and most of you are going, "Oh, I love it." Some of you, maybe a few, might be like, "Man, I don't know what you're talking about." I'm gonna kind of set the stage here. Um, it's later in the game. Charles Woodson had already left the game. Right. He had broke his collarbone. And at halftime, they said he gave this big emotional speech where he could hardly get any words out. He was just completely in tears. Just basically the message was, you know how much this this game means to me. And I can't go out there and contribute now. I need you guys to win the Super Bowl ring for me. You know, Charles Woodson that did everything, defensive player of the year and was just team captain, leader in every sense of the word for the Packers. Uh, that entire season, he was, you know, crucial. Him, he and Nick Collins. Right. So. 
now he's completely hemmed up. He can't do anything about it. And that's the speech he gave. And you'll hear Kevin Green mention, everybody looks to Wood to be a leader, but he's gone, meaning he, he can't help you guys now. Nobody's stepping up and rallying the troops. He says it's time. It is time. The very next play, guys, was when Clay Matthews forced a fumble. I'm going to stop there. I just wanted to set the stage for people who haven't heard this story. I'm going to play the audio here for you and, uh, and let you kind of relive it through NFL Films America's game. But here it goes. The Steelers cut the lead to four as the fourth quarter began. To hear what Clay says uh, to Pickett. I, I have a feeling I'm going to run this way right here. What are you going to do if we get area? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll be pointing at my guy. I'm going to point. Just, I'm not going to tell you I'm going to point at my guy. And to the guys in the huddle about he thinks it's coming his way. They're all looking at me. Huh? I got a feeling they're pulling this way. And Pickett, spill it. Spill it, Pickett! Right spill it! In my opinion, it ranks as the most incredible play in the series. And off to a minute. makes a play you want to celebrate and uh you know i went to pump my arm pain shot down the left side of my body like you wouldn't believe and it put me back in check one more touchdown so there you go um probably the most important play aside from the pick six by nick collins and, and i know aaron made a bunch of different great throws in that game right i mean he was Obviously, Super Bowl MVP for a reason. Uh, a lot of people forget that. You know, he gets this label that he's not a clutch player and he can't win in the postseason, blah, blah, blah. As a young player, um, he accomplished all that, right? Um, and, of course, a little later in his career, you see all the Hail Marys, you know, like the, the Arizona Cardinals game. They lost that game, but, my God, Aaron Rodgers made miraculous play after miraculous play in Dallas, right? Throw across his body on the sideline to, to cook. Everybody forgets that, right? Now, 2010 was special. Why? Because they had everything all invested in defense. And I'm not just talking about first-round picks, right? I mean, you go out and you sign Charles Woodson years before he's on the roster, right? Um, there's so many moves they made. Ryan Pickett and free agency, huge pickup. You heard Clay say spill it. And we're going to talk about that play, and then we'll get into the uh, edge defenders and their cap hits and everything. But um, so many people – came on board with that team and played a role, right? Uh, big, what was his name? I think his name was Howard Green, huge defensive tackle. Another player that Aaron always credits. Like, man, that was that was absolutely phenomenal for our team, just that one signing, having that big guy in the middle that could kind of clog those uh, those running lanes and, and be a, an impact player and for really cheap, you know. Everybody acts like Brian Gutekunst is the only person to use free agency, and that's what he did so much better than, uh, than, than Ted Thompson, and that's B.S., Ted Thompson was using the same exact approach. Cheap free agents who you know can be impact players. And that's that's easier said than done. I get it. But Thompson went, went out and signed those players like Ryan Pickett, like Charles Woodson, on and on and on. So, um, But that play in general, you heard Clay say, spill it, Pickett, spill it. If you ever guys see, if you guys ever see me go live on, on stream, you'll notice behind me I've got a blackboard, right? I, I basically painted an entire wall with the – 
with the uh, the blackboard paint where you could write on it with chalk. And there's specific plays designed with the pitcher above or below them. You know, you like the Bart Starr quarterback sneak, and I've got the play completely diagrammed, right? And that's that's a simple play. It's just a quarterback sneak. It's actually supposed to be a, a, a halfback wedge play, but, of course, you all know the story to that. I've also got Don Hudson, um, one of his uh, key plays, you know, where they would – uh, you know, kind of uh, people would load the box and they would stretch Don, Don Hudson down the field and it's a, a double move route. And you, you look at it and you go, well, that is that really the play? Absolutely it was. That came from uh, a picture from one of these old books I have where Curly Lambeau actually drew the play up and you could see it. You could see the, the play clear as day that that was the play they ran. Um, same thing with Lombardi's Packer sweep, all that. That's all behind me. And I mention it because that play with Clay Matthews is on here. And showing how Pickett slid inside and really fanned inside. That's what he meant by spill it. What Clay was saying is he had seen on tape, right, that they would run this power play where they would pull the guard. When Anytime somebody runs a power play, the number one priority where you've got pulling offensive linemen is to attack them. If you play on your heels, you're going to get smacked in the mouth. If you read power, the second you read it, you've got to attack. It's what A.J. Hawk did so well for the Green Bay Packers in that 34 zone blitz defense. He would play jackbacker, and he would attack the lead blockers. He would attack the mesh point. He would he would try to get in there and disrupt before the play could you know kind of come to fruition. And a lot of times that meant he was taking himself out of the play. And and this is even the guy that that's the all time leading tackler in Green Bay history in A.J. Hawk. But he would play an unselfish role. Here comes, all right, here comes a 320-pound guard. God, I got to put my nose, I got to put my face right in the fan here. Bang, get in there and blow it up, right? So what Clay seen was, I think they're running a power. They keep looking over here. And he let Pickett know beforehand, hey, look, they keep looking over. I think they're running at me. And they come to the line, and sure enough, he sees everything he's seen on tape. He tells Pickett, Pickett, spill it, spill it, Pickett. What he means is – jam inside the second the ball snap first of all he takes a little pre-snap adjustment and when the ball snap rather than pick it occupy his two gaps he's just going to attack the inside and, and and try to help cut this off and clay comes right around the corner before anybody knows what's going on before mendenhall can can make a uh an adjustment bang hits him on the outside puts a helmet puts a shoulder right on the ball ball comes out they recover huge play for the packers and and that's the thing that that you know what all comes into play there one of the greatest at the edge defender outside linebacker in the in the zone blitz, 34 zone blitz, and Kevin Green teaching a young Clay Matthews how to play the position. Clay being an absolute freak, but more importantly, taking the time and being willing to study. I mean, study like a madman and pick up on that play, right? And then, of course, the communication between he and Pickett, um, and Pickett being unselfish, like, okay, no, you know, some players would have been like, no, it's these are my two gaps, and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to normally do, and I'm going to, you know, drag this tackle out with me, and I'm going to try to make the tackle. No, he he trusted Clay behind him, a young player in Clay, much younger than he was in Ryan Pickett. All right, yeah, I'll spill it. And takes himself completely out of the play, but cuts the play off so Clay can make the tackle. It's maybe the most important play in that Super Bowl, and it's one of my favorites. So just wanted to kind of share that with you guys to set the stage for the edge position, um, tying a little bit of history with what we're going to talk about. But now let's get over to – uh, the the new roster, okay? Let's talk about what the edge position looks like, and let's talk cap hits and PFF grades, what's currently on the roster. All right, so first up, Preston Smith, he is on the cap this year for $13 million flat. 
13.0 and some change. If I say 13 flat, one flat, that means there's a little bit of change involved, but not enough to even account for $100,000. So 13 flat uh, against the cap. Preston Smith's PFF grade was a 66.4. Not a good look. You know, we had talked about how he's kind of up and down. It seems like one year he plays well, the next year he's down. One year he plays well, the next year he's down. Let's hope he rebounds this year. But one thing we got to take into consideration is he's getting older, guys. We're going to talk about his contract more specifically here in a second and talk about he being the one player at the edge uh, at the edge position that I feel like we could free up a little bit of cap room if we need to, okay? And we're not talking about cutting out, right, although we'll, we'll kind of lay out every scenario there for that. But, again, cap hit, 13 million, 66.4 PFF grade. Not good. Up next is Rashawn Gary. His cap cap hit for 2023 is $10.8 million. That's that fifth-year option we talked about, right? First of all, you know, when you talk about the fifth-year option with Jordan Love and it being over $20 million and you don't know he's, he's kind of unproven, we don't know exactly what we got there. I'm leaning towards I think he's going to be a great starting quarterback from what I've seen the little bit, the minute sample size that I've seen, right? Um, but $20 million is a lot of money. I would like to see them do a uh, a long-term deal with him rather than that fifth-year option, okay? Now, with Rashawn Gary, it's kind of the opposite. Why did they pick up the fifth-year option on Rashawn Gary? Because if they had re redone his deal, you're probably looking at somewhere last year. If they had if they had just signed him to an extension rather than a fifth-year option last year, you're probably looking at somewhere from 15 to $25 million per year. So they already saved $15 million against the cap this year. Now let's get into that new deal and, and re, renegotiate there. Now, it's going to make things really, really strange, really odd, right? It's kind of like with Elton Jenkins. You know, the year before it was a slam dunk, just re-signed Elton Jenkins. The ACL uh, injury really made things difficult. That's that's what kind of hung up negotiations, I think. And I think it's why he was upset from time to time, and rightfully so. Um, from the Packers' standpoint, you, you kind of you, – you've got the, the team and the organization coming like, okay, is he going to completely recover or are we just going to waste money, you know? Love the guy, love everything about it, but if he's not back to 100%, how do we place a true market value on that, right? And then from Elton Jenkins' standpoint, it's like, I know I'm going to come back. I laid it on the line. I shredded my knee for this team, and now you don't want to pay me? I mean, that's that's a sensitive subject. And that's what I want this podcast to be, is to tell both sides of the story, right? And it look, I understand it's going to tick some people off that play Madden, and they want the salary cap to be perfect. And it's like, no, if they're injured, then get them off the team. I got it. I understand there's these aren't human beings involved, right? And I understand that that you don't that you're not gonna, you know, kind of uh, mold your thinking about the around the way I think, right? You're not gonna cater to to me and the way I look at the roster and team building and all that. And that's totally cool. We can agree to disagree. But this podcast is gonna be about telling the entire story, not just a little bit here and a little bit there, right? Not just Aaron Rodgers had a down year without mentioning the broken thumb, <laughs> right? You notice I say he had it down here. I don't deny that. Like, yeah, man, PFF grade of 77, still one of the best on the team. But, yeah, he had a down year. Also, why aren't you talking about the broken thumb? It's going to be the same thing with this. With Rashawn Gary, we don't know if he's going to come back 100% to where he was from the knee injury. If there's a player in the world that can do it, that's willing to do it and put in the time, it's Rashawn Gary. Bain doesn't play, man. That dude is. It's all about mastering his craft, about putting the work in. He is everything Cheesehead. He's everything Packers. I hope this works out and we can get his contract extension negotiated through the knee injury. Now, the last thing I heard, the last I had heard, he still represents himself. He doesn't have an agency. That's a big plus for the Packers. Now, it makes things a little bit personal 
because normally a negotiation, uh, you know, an organization is going to come in and tell the agent, look, this is what he's worth. This is what this player is worth. I don't care what he's done. Bang, bang, bang. I don't think he's as good as he think he is here. It's easy to have those conversations with an agent, but when you're having it with a player, you're telling them, I don't think you're worth this. I don't think you're worth that. <laughs> that can be tough, right? But at the same time, it removes that agency that's going to look at it from a strictly a number standpoint, right? The team, I feel like, you know, a good example is Donald Driver talking to Ted Thompson, right? Donald Driver said, I wanted to be a Packer for life. They believed in me. They gave me a chance with that seventh-round pick. I went straight. We always had an open-door policy with Ted Thompson. I went straight into Ted Thompson's office and said, I want to be a Packer for life. What can we do? And Ted Thompson negotiated with him face-to-face. You know, there, there's been great stories, good stories like that, feel-good stories where you're like, man, that's great that the player can work hand-in-hand with the organization. I think that's how Rashawn Gary is going to be treated from the organization. And I think that's how Rashawn Gary looks at the organization is going to treat them. So I think we'll get it done. But regardless, that's why the fifth year option made sense on Rashawn Gary. For me, it didn't make sense on Darnell Savage because he had underperformed. Rashawn Gary has performed through the freaking roof. I mean, he's been one of the best edge defenders in football the last two years, in my opinion. And you started to see the numbers come along with the PFF grades. That, you know, Rashawn Gary is a perfect case study of why I believe in PFF. You've seen his PFF grade raising every year, right? And just it's like, holy cow, the PFF is seeing something in this guy, but but he doesn't have the sacks, right? And then lo and behold, bang, here comes the production right behind it. Because you could see on tape he was winning, right? So again, Rashawn Gary, 10.8 million against the cap, PFF grade of 82.9. Let's get that guy in an extension. I think he's going to battle back from the injury and he's going to be as good as he ever was. Um, just be a little later in the year, which does come into play when it comes to building this roster. Okay. Jonathan Garvin's up next. Uh, One million against the cap. Guys, 50.6 PFF grade. Um, yeah, not going to get it done. If you think that's bad, here comes Ladarius Hamilton. Only 940K, right? 35.6 overall defensive PFF grade. Why am I mentioning the overall defensive PFF grade and not just the edge grade, not just the pass rushing grade? Why? Because I just played a clip for you where Clay Matthews, two things happened on that play. Film study, being aware of what's going on around him, and then making a play in the running game that completely changed the outcome of that game. That that kind of helped seal that victory there up by four or five points, whatever it was. Guys, the overall package matters not just getting after the quarterback at the edge edge position. You want to know why it matters? Look at our run defense. When you just start negating the fact that edge defenders need to play the run as well, right, and you're just focused on getting after the quarterback, bad things can happen in the running game. Like when you look at uh, Rashawn Gary, his pass rush grade is an 83. His coverage grade is a 90. Granted, he probably didn't have many coverage snaps, You know, probably just a couple if I had to imagine. But he did exactly what he was supposed to do, dropping into coverage. That's a plus. That's important. There's going to be times where teams scheme away from him and they try to get him tied up into coverage. That's why occasionally you would see Preston Smith drop into coverage and Twitter went nuts. What in the hell is Preston Smith doing in coverage? Guys, you go in with the best game plan you you, you can have, but the offense is looking to put your defense in a bind. They, they get paid too. And there's going to be times that they set the, the personnel – and then break the huddle with a different formation, and it's going to force one of these big fellas into coverage. It's going to happen. That's that's the the negative to the 34 defense, right? 
and we are technically a 34 defense. Those outside linebackers have got to be willing to drop into coverage if a scheme, uh, you know, if their scheme is attacked in a way that's going to draw them into coverage, right? You've got to be prepared to do that. As we're in a 43, it's typically you've got four rushers, your defensive ends and your two, def two defensive ends, two defensive tackles, and you don't expect those defensive ends to drop into coverage. It's more of a straightforward approach, right? Um, so I'm not going to get into the pros and cons of a 34 versus a 43, but that stuff does come into play when you're building the roster and getting the body types and the, and the skill sets that you need. So Rashawn Gary, though, the reason I want to mention that, his run defense grade was a 67.1. Some of you are going, man, that's bad, right? Uh, you may consider it bad, but when it comes to the edge position, he was the best, 67.1. You know, Justin Hollins had a 66. Preston Smith had a 64, right? So he was the best ed the best run defender as well against the uh, – um, from the edge position, I should say. So Rashawn Gary, man, got to get that contract done. But again, um, uh, on the back to Ladarius Hamilton, you know, what did his grade look like? He was dead last on our defense at a 35.6. Didn't get a whole lot of snaps, don't get me wrong. But run defense grade was horrible, 34.5. Tackling grade, 25.3. The reason it's important to mention these guys, because they are making out the roster, right, is – You've got to go in with a foundation. We've talked about this on every position group. You've got to have a minimum at each position to go, okay, hell or high water, worst case scenario, our position room is set there. We've got enough to fill the team. That's the starting point, and they've done that because you've got one, two, three, four, five players on this. That's that's enough edge defenders. I personally believe you can roll with four and then have a couple on your practice squad to, to kind of fan in and out as you need it per injury. Now, keep in mind, Rashawn Gary – is not going to start the year um, because he's still going to be on IR or PUP, whatever you want to say. So you've got your four, Preston Smith, uh, Jonathan Garvin, Ladarius Hamilton, and the next guy I'm going to talk about, Kingsley and Igbarre, 930K. Now, when it comes to Kingsley and Igbarre, he didn't have a great year, right? But as a rookie, what did he do? As a rookie, he contributed. He played a whole lot of snaps, guys. I mean, when I'm looking at your total snaps, according to PFF, it's 465 snaps. That's more than TJ Slayton, right? That's more than that's more than Keyshawn Nixon on defense. That's more than Devontae Wyatt. That's more than double the amount that Devontae Wyatt had. So Kingsley and Ibarre as a rookie to come in and have a PFF grade of 61.4, not a great grade, but 60. You, if you're in the 60s as a rookie, in my opinion, okay, you can play at this level. You can play at the NFL level. Now let's let's mold and craft that game, right? What did he do well? Uh, you know, at pass rushing, sixty-one point three, kind of on par with his overall grade. Uh, run defense, fifty-four point three. Tackling, fifty point seven. Not a great run defender. Coverage, eighty-eight point five. I don't know how many coverage snaps he had. It looked like there was thirteen times he dropped into coverage, and is he had an elite eighty-eight point five coverage grade. Now that's not what we're going to use him for, but that's great that he can do that, right? So. As it sits right now when you go into the season, and first of all, 930K, guys, and, and here you've got him for three more years on that rookie deal, that's huge. That's that's going to be a key piece to this edge uh, group. Not saying he should be the long-term starter. We don't know that yet, right? But the fact that he held his own, forced into a starting role, is huge at 930K. So that's how that sits. If the season started tomorrow, Preston Smith and Kingsley and Igbari would be your starting edge defenders. Jonathan Garvin and Ladarius Hamilton would be your two backup, right? Um, Rashawn Gary won't be available till midseason. And, guys, we've got to be prepared. We weren't prepared last year. 
Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, two great offensive linemen, right? When they came back from the ACL, they were not the same. It'll be next year, I think, this coming season, when they're all right, they're back to full health, they're back to doing what they do well, right? But we cannot expect – I know so many people, it's like, oh, just cut just cut Bakhtiari. He's done. He's washed up. The knee's trash, blah, blah, blah. Same thing with Elton. Elton never going to be the same player. Don't extend him. And then as you get later in the year, you see him start to come on. He earns that contract extension. Expect the same thing from Rashawn Gary. Prepare for the worst. Hope for the best. Let's hope he comes out and regains form quicker than anybody did. But that ACL can be tough. We got so used to people like Adrian Peterson coming back from ACLs, and it was just like, oh, well, this is the new norm. Yeah, they're not going to be the the same rehab process as the past. Technology, you know, modern medicines come along. That's BS. Every player is different. And the psychological aspect, the mental uh, the mental stability you have to have and the mental toughness you got to have to be able to play through that pain when it feels like it's going to pop again and the doctor's telling you, no, it won't, no, it won't, no, it won't, and you've got to get over that mental drive. If anybody can do it, it's Rashawn Gary. So that's how the room sits. Preston Smith, 13 million. Rashawn Gary, 10.8. Jonathan Garvin, 1 million. Ladarius Hamilton, 940K. And Kingsley and Igbari, 930K. Now, what have the Packers done in the past, guys? They've they've made it really, really clear they want three edge defenders, right? You go out, not only did they go out and sign Ladarius Smith in free agency, but they landed Preston Smith as well. And then they drafted Rashawn Gary, three, three edge defenders, right? You, it's just like the quarterback position. You know, I talk about we've got two elite positions, right, on offense, quarterback and left tackle, okay? You've got to make sure those are shored up, top priority. On defense, it's edge defender. There's nothing wrong with having two edge defenders. What do you say about quarterback all the time? The best time to draft one is when you've got one. The best time to, to look for one is when you've got one, right? They treat the edge position exactly the same way in Green Bay, and not just in Green Bay but across the entire league. Edge defender is a top priority. It's one of those elite positions. It's that top-tier position on defense. The only top-tier position on defense for me is edge. There's nothing wrong with having two great. So coming into this exercise, I was kind of looking at it like, ah, you know, I, I don't see us looking to draft an edge defender. First of all, for any position whatsoever, if a top-tier talent drops to you and it's the only person on the board that's in the top tier of current talent, current top tier of talent, on the horizontal draft board, you're going to take into great consideration drafting whether you need that or not. That's why fans freak out when in the past the Packers have drafted at a position that they didn't necessarily need, but it's like they understand and realize and and, and completely believe that this player is significantly better than everyone else on the board. And even though it's not a position of need. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. 
Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You've got to really take into consideration drafting them. That's why you drafted Jordan Love when you did. And I know all the Aaron Rodgers lovers hated that pick, right? Um, I get I get dubbed into the crowd of I'm an Aaron Rodgers lover. I'm just an Aaron Rodgers defender. I'm an Aaron Rodgers stan. I love that new terminology, stan. Cracks me up. People have no damn clue what they're talking about, but that's okay. Um, some people, not you, but the idiots out there that just want to try to force people into boxes. It's why I love Aaron Rodgers because he will not be forced into a box. But this isn't an Aaron Rodgers episode. I'm going to try to stay off the topic for the listeners' sake. So um, when it comes to filling that void at the edge position, I think now's a good time to, to, to look at filling it. Now, in free agency, they've got guys – there's going to be a ton of people in free agency, guys, that the Packers had on their past draft boards. That's the information they're going off of. Like when you signed Hollins, right, why did they go out and get Hollins off of the practice squad in L.A.? I mean, you've seen he contributed. He actually had a pretty decent year. Now he's a free agent. They may bring him back. I'm not taking any consideration. We've already talked about the free agents that are hitting the market. The Packers could you know, go out and make an offer, let them test the market, and come back and get a better offer from the Packers. I'm not talking about that, but why did they sign him? I guarantee you that Brian Gutekunst, every time, every one of these free agents, the starting point, a lot of people don't understand this, and, and I've learned it over the years, the starting point for evaluating that player isn't the current tape. They immediately go, what year was he drafted? Got it. What draft grade did we have on him? Bang. Because, guys, believe it or not, there are people that come into this league that are great talents, and they get thrown into a scheme and into a bad coaching spot to where – they do not maximize their ability, right? And their career will go flat. Like Aaron Rodgers, for example, he was drafted in Green Bay. He sat for several years behind Brett. I think he sat for three years, if I remember correctly. He learned behind a Hall of Fame quarterback. He was molded and crafted by Mike McCarthy. People don't want to give Coach Mike that credit, and it cracks me the hell up because it's like, what? <laughs> do you think Aaron just came into the league and he was just naturally this gifted? All of these teams passed on him, right? They said, no, he isn't good enough. We don't even know. No, that none of them, none of those teams seen him as a top tier talent. And here the Packers are like, he's the best on the board. It's exactly what we talked about. You hear, uh, you know, Bob Harlan talk about this and it's, it's such a we need to find that video. It's such a great, uh, you know, uh, video with with Harlan talking about the situation at that specific draft before they got to their pick. Ted said, Bob, can you step out in the hallway? I want to talk to you. And they step out. He said, listen, um, if Aaron Rodgers, um, if Aaron Rodgers drops to us at the 22nd pick, 24th pick, whatever it was, he's the best on the board. We're, we're going to take him, and I just want to make sure you're okay with that because when we take him, we're going to catch hell. This is what Ted Thompson said to Bob Harlan. This is Bob Harlan telling the story. 
And Bob Harlan told him, hey, Ted, this is your team, man. If that's your guy, you go get him. See, Ted knew if this guy falls to us, he is hands down the current top-tier talent. And we have a Hall of Fame quarterback already. The fans are going to go ballistic over this, and they did. Death threats to Aaron Rodgers. Not, I'm not trying to stereotype or label all Packer fans here. I know it was a very small amount, but as you can see on Twitter, the minority, the smaller of the group of opinion, typically are the loudest, right? It's also my current belief that people who have the least amount to say are typically the loudest in the room, but that's a topic for another day. Now, they took the top-tier talent. If edge position is equally as important as quarterback and left tackle because it's the only top-tier uh, elite position on defense, then you treat it the same way. If you've got an edge defender that's going to drop, then you take them. And we're going to talk about those top edge defenders here in a second. Before we do, let's go ahead and move on to Preston Smith's contract. I want to give you guys an idea of how this lays out, okay? We're talking about every position group we lay out, okay, is there a strong need here? Who do we have coming back? What do their cap hits look like? And we try to pick one or two players out of that position group and go, okay, who could we renegotiate slash restructure and or restructure to free up some cap relief because you guys know the cap situation. And we've got a list that we've compiled so far, right? Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Kenny Clark. Let's look at Preston Smith. He's the only one on this in this uh, this edge position group, right, the, uh, the edge room, that you could look at and go, yeah, you could probably work something out. In 2023, okay, let's look at his cap hits. His cap hits in 2023 is $13 million, 13.0 million flat. In 2024, it's 14.8 million. Okay. Not horrible cap hits if it was a guy who was performing at a starting edge level. We seen his numbers were down last year. His production was down. His PFF grade was down. Right. So at this moment, I would say, no, he's not worth the 13 million. But if he rebounds this year, jumps back up into the 70s, records, you know, yeah, 10 sacks, it's holy cow, man, that's well worth the money. Right. So dead cap attached this year, 9.7 million. So his cap hit is 13. His dead cap is 9.7. Let's round it up to 10. You're only going to free up roughly 3.3 million in cap relief if you just cut him out right. Not worth it. You want him on the roster. You're expecting him to rebound. Okay. Now his dead cap next year drops to 7.3 million, meaning if his cap hits 14.8 million and his dead cap is 7.3 million, then next year you could free up $7.5 million just by cutting him out right. Now you're getting into the range of, okay, this might make sense, right? So I think he's on the roster this year. With that being said, let's look at a restructure possibility. What's cool about Preston Smith is, I mean, it, you some people could disagree. When I look at it, I don't like the fact that he's under contract until uh, until he's 34 years old in 2026. But when you look at the structure of the contract, starting in 2023, the dead cap number is 9.7 million. 24, it's 7.3 million. In 2025, it's 4.8 million. In 2026, it's 2.4 million. You can see that this is not a backloaded contract when it comes to guarantees. So they can free up money as they go along. That's why this was structured the way it was. What you essentially came down to is, in negotiation, we knew Zadarius was acting like a little crybaby that he is. He's going to be gone. So we've got Rashawn Gary, who's an up-and-coming, uh, you know, great talent. We've got we've got to keep another edge defender opposite of him. Let's re-sign Preston Smith. That was the decision that was made. Now, he didn't break the bank, guys. Edge The edge position is expensive. 
I mean, it, it, here real soon, it's going to be over 30 million per. If it isn't already, I don't have that information pulled up. It may have already cracked that, but you've got people like the Bosa brothers and and other guys across the league, TJ Watt, that are just, I mean, they're costing a lot of money to their teams as far as cap hit. So Preston Smith at this cap hit of $13 million looks great on paper. We just got to get a little bit more uh, production out of them for sure. So with that being said, let's look at it here. Let's take a look um, at the restructure possibilities. Again, We've got three more years on his contract. He's under contract for 2023, 24, 25, and 26. That's absolutely huge for someone um, as far as uh, you being able to, you know, restructure deals and stuff from that that sense of uh, sense of the uh, the contract talk. So, if we wanted to restructure his deal, what could we free up in 2023? A re you've got a total maximum restructure of 10 million dollars. What do we mean by? That. I always want to mention this on the front side. I mentioned it to Ramage the other night, and he was freaked out. He was like, "How? How do you know?" Like it's it's real simple. The problem is the people that typically explain it, they try to sound make it sound more complex than it is on Twitter, so they can claim to be this guru that everybody needs to come to me for the information. It's just like you know, I worked in construction for six years, concrete and steel work. When I was going in, I was like, man, I'm just going to be an extra hand. I'm going to be the mule. I'm going to carry stuff because I don't know anything about construction. And when I got down there in the mud with them, they were like, Clayton, you could, you're smart enough to understand this. Like, this isn't that difficult. The problem is you've got people who do it as a profession and they keep other people in the dark and they want it to seem like it's so complex because that drives up the value of their worth. These it, they, They're doing the same thing. Pretending like the cap is this, oh, it's so hard to understand. It's not. Here's what you need to focus on as far as a restructure. There's three key components, okay? You've got a, a, you've got a, a total of about five things that make up the contract, but the three key components are this. First of all, you got the cap hit. That's not one of the components. What comprises of the cap hit? You've got roster bonus, the money that's due the first week of the season. You got the signing bonus. That's money that's already guaranteed in their pocket. You cannot get out of that. And you've got base salary, which is the amount of money that's going to be um, distributed over the course of the 17 weeks or, or however they agree to it. Okay. So it's going to be kind of a, a weekly, a game day paycheck, if you will. So when you look at Preston Smith's contract, this is how it lays out in, um, in 2023 this year base salary of 2 million. Roster bonus of $8.1 million, meaning if he's on the roster week one, he's guaranteed that money. So what you can do is take those two numbers, and then you can convert them to signing bonus, the third component. And then you, any signing bonus money that's already agreed to at the signing of the contract can be spread out over the extent of the contract, uh, you know, the life of the contract, I should say. So that's why teams typically tack on voidable years. They'll tack on two years, two voidable years on the backside. They'll spread that signing bonus out over that. That is what you call cash over cap. You're you're essentially saying here's some guaranteed money right out of my pocket into yours and if you got these these big wealthy owners that can afford to pay it, then you pay that money up front and then you can spread the cap hit out over later, right? People say, "Oh, it's like swapping a credit card." No, it's actually the opposite. It's saying here, here's money up front, but allocation, right? Cash is the money paid to the player at the signing. Cap is how you allocate it. It's the accounting aspect of it through the salary cap. Why do I not freak out over the salary cap? Because there's a thousand different ways that you can move this money around to hide it. This is what we're talking about in cash over cap. Okay. So um, people who've heard my podcast before, you're going Clayton, you've talked about this before. I understand, but we've got new listeners all the time and I want to make sure that people understand 
exactly what we're talking about as we we as we pick up new listeners we want to educate them as we go along and i want you guys to educate me on stuff that i miss so we can get better and and be better packer fans moving forward it's very very important to me so you've already got the 3 years that you can spread that money out right so in 2023 you've got a maximum of 10 million restructure where do i get that 10 million from base salary 2 million Roster bonus, $8.1 million. Now, here's the deal. You've got to have a minimum salary, and I believe you've got to have a minimum roster bonus. I don't think there's – like, I've never seen a contract where there's no roster bonus. Like, for instance, last year in 2022, Preston Smith's roster bonus was four hundred seventy k. right? I would kind of consider that as nothing, being less than a half a million. But um, we, want to, we want to take into consideration – that we can't take that full $10.1 million. I'm just mentioning that's what could be restructured. So with that being said, I like to take half of that number, roughly half of that number, maybe a little bit more. I'm being very conservative with Preston Smith and saying you've got $5 million there. What does that mean? You could take $5 million of the roster bonus, right, of the $8.1 million roster bonus and say, you know what, here's what we're going to do, bro. We're going to convert $5 million of that to signing bonus meaning we're going to put it in your pocket right now. And then you could take that $5 million and spread it out over 24, 25, and 26. Now, what does that come to, guys? When I mention this, the cap gurus go, oh, yeah, you're kicking the can down the road. It's going to come due sometime. Zadarius Smith never came due. Drew Brees never came due. It came due, but you didn't even notice it because they were able to move other money around to free up the money that you needed. The goal is to put the best product on the field possible, right? It's the same thing we did with Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Kenny Clark. Now we're talking about doing with Preston Smith. I don't have a problem with going as high as seven or eight million restructuring this year. And that frees that cap up for 2023. This is how you get under that cap number that we're talking about with them being $17 million over the cap right now, which is absolutely nothing. I'm telling you. Last year it was way higher, astronomically higher than that. And in a couple of days, bang, they're right back under the cap. And all of a sudden, what happens? Those cap gurus don't sit there and go, you can't do that. You can't do that. They go completely quiet. And then guess what they do? They jump on the next season. Well, next season, you got to focus on this and this. And it, all they're going to do is kick the can down the road and it's going to catch up to us. It doesn't catch up. It hasn't yet. Show me the team it has. I laid out the Saints on a past podcast, broke their entire roster down. It had nothing to do with Drew Brees. It had everything to do with the players that they extended and put a lot of faith in moving forward. That's where the problem lies, in my opinion. Let me give you an example. Darnell Savage. I, I don't think there's any fans that's going to know Darnell Savage is a great safety, are they? Find them for me. Find me the fans, the Packer fans, that think he's a great safety. I hope he can be. I hope he, I hope he does. I want that. Like I said in the past, man, with a name like Savage, you want that dude on your defense. That's just the coolest football name on the face of the planet, right? And he's got all the raw talent in the world, but he's underperformed. So with him underperforming, the problem with me was them picking up that fifth-year option was like, what the heck are we thinking? What, why, why are we willing to pay him seven or eight million dollars against the cap, and it's guaranteed, right? That's a bad move. That's one of the reasons we're in cap trouble, you know, for for signings like that. You know, Adrian Amos was another one, completely underperformed last year. I didn't see it coming. I'm not going to sit there and pretend like I did. But the problem isn't Aaron Rodgers being one of the best offensive players on our roster and, you know, before he broke his thumb, being back-to-back MVP with a $31 million cap hit, the problem is players like, you know, insert whoever you want to, underperforming. You know, Kenny Clark was one we did on the last episode. You know, he underperformed immensely, right? 
those are the issues that we have with the roster. And I'm not suggesting you just cut all those players. I'm not going to go to the extreme that that those other, you know, doom and gloom fans go to. But you've that you've got to look at the whole picture. So when it comes to Preston Smith, if you just freed up five million dollars, right? Let's just pretend like that. You spread that over three years, guys. That is nothing. That's that's less than two million per year in 24, 25, and 26. And bang, what do you do? You free up five million this year. So let's look at the most sensible restructures so far this 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 season. How are we going to get under on the not just get under the cap, but also put ourselves in a position where we can go out and sign players? We still don't know if Aaron's coming back or not, right? Aaron may retire. And if Aaron, Aaron may be traded too, I want to put that on the table. I personally don't think it's going to happen. Um, and man, that's an emotional roller coaster, not for me, but for others watching them up and down and up and down. It's Throughout the course of last year, all it was was he's washed up. We shouldn't have gave him this deal. He's horrible. He's not even a starting quarterback. What Jordan Love can't do that? That, that cracked me up. He's not, not done anything that Jordan Love can't do. I show him what making two defenders miss and throwing sidearm under a defender's arm to hit Mercedes Lewis on a perfectly accurate wheel route down the sideline in Miami. One of the huge plays of the game that that won us that game, right? I show him dropping it in the bucket to Lazard in double coverage against the Jets. I show him putting it right on the money to Christian Watson on a bomb against Dallas. I show him threading the needle later in the Dallas game on a crossing pattern where he put it right by the, the, the defender's ear hole. I haven't even showed the video of him hitting Cobb in the back of the end zone where the, he whizzed it right by the, the, the defender's ear hole. And why do I mention – I don't – you don't dare mention Cobb doing anything positive because that's Aaron's best friend, and that's the only reason he's on the roster. It's like – Whew. It's such a weird way to fan is all I got to say. Um, but most sensible restructure so far, to free up money in 2023. Bakhtiari, we kept it very conservative and said you could free up $10 million. Aaron Jones, we kept it very conservative and said you could free up $8 million. Uh, Kenny Clark, we kept it very conservative and you could free up $7 million. Now, with Kenny, man, next year, next year with Kenny is going to be huge. If he has another down year, Kenny's probably not on the roster moving forward, and I hate that because I love the dude, right? But he, he's underperformed, and that contract is crazy, stupid, expensive. This is one of the issues I have with people saying, this defense should be better, this de defense should be better. Why should they be better? When have they been a top-five defense? With this current roster, with these players that everybody claims are just, whoo, these are world-class football players. When have they been a top-five defense? Oh, they haven't. Okay. When have they been a top 10 defense? Oh, they haven't. So what are we basing that assumption on? Just because they're first-round picks doesn't mean they're great players, right? And, I, and I'm not trying to single out one or say the whole group sucks. I'm just saying when people come with that, it's like, well, we spent first-round picks on them. Therefore, they've got to be good def They've got to be good defenders. They've got to be good talents. That's not how it works. It's how you land a Kevin Green way later in the draft, you know? It's how you draft Fred Warner in the third round. The 49ers got him in the third round. Does that make him a bad football player because he was drafted in the third round? Now, you've got other inside linebackers that were drafted in the first round, and they haven't produced anything. Just because they were drafted in the first round doesn't make them talented. And to, to just say that the coaching staff is underutilizing them because you took them with a specific pick is silly. Players bust out all the time, guys. It's, it's part of it, right? And, yes, scheme comes into play, absolutely, and maximizing what people do well. You know, that's what Sean Payton said when he took the job here in Denver, and I love it. He's like, my number one priority is to find out what these guys do best and put them in a position to do that, right? So, 
I don't know. It's just worth mentioning. Again, Kenny Clark, $7 million you could free up. Preston Smith, $5 million you could free up this year. Add him to the list. That totals out to $30 million. Yet there will be doom and gloomers. There will be cap gurus going, oh, there's – I don't know how they're going to get under the cap. Now they're starting to shift to, oh, they'll get under the cap, but they're destroying the franchise. It's crazy. The goal isn't to make the cap look beautiful. The goal is to field the best team. So the real question is, are these team, are these players worth keeping and what at, at what value are they worth to keep them? Is Bakhtiari worth keeping? Absolutely. He was second in the league in sacks allowed this year. Coming off a cr- crazy three surgeries on his knee, right? He's back. Bang. Lock him up. Aaron Jones, the best player on offense for the Green Bay Packers. Had his best statistical year, yards per carry. I think it was 5.1 again. He's he's one of only like two players in Packers history to average 5.1 yards per carry for three years. And you just want to cut him because the cap looks bad. Get away from me with that crap, man. Use your freaking head. What are we talking about? I, I know you want the cap to be structured perfectly so you can fire up Madden on your PS4 and PS5 and be able to go, yeah, I'm going to go out and sign. I'm going to go, I'm going to go trade for Joey Bosa. I'm going to go trade for Nick Bosa because we need an edge defender. (laughs) I don't know why the front office can't figure this out. Guys, come on, please. It's a silly. Like, (laughs) so 30 million that you can free up there. You're only 17 million over in the cap. Some websites are reporting 19 million. Others are reporting 15 million. Let's call it 17. If it's 17, then what's that mean? If you do those restructures just with those four players so far, Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Kenny Clark, and Preston Smith, it makes all the sense in the world because you can you can still cut Preston Smith next year and free up. Even when you tack on the money from the, from the restructure, if you cut him next year, you're still going to free up five to $6 million if he comes out and he's not the guy again. And every year after that, that, cap, that dead cap number gets lower and lower. Great job by Brian Gudikins and how he constructed that contract. And I'm really surprised that Preston Smith took the deal because I feel like in the open market, he probably could have got more. He really could have. Just shows you what kind of Packer Preston Smith is. I'm glad he's on the roster, and I hope he bounces back this year and makes all the critics eat crow. I really do. So if you do those simple restructures and you're $17 million over the cap, you do the math. Now you're $13 million in the positive. That's how you go out and sign a few free agents. Cheap, bargain hunting for players that the Packers in the past had them high on their draft boards, right? That's where the they're going to look at these players and go, okay, he's 28 years old. He's underperformed here. What was our draft grade on him? Oh, dang, we had a we had a second-round talent on him. Okay. So we we had him graded out in that second-round talent range. Now, they don't – I've heard they don't specifically use rounds. It's a numerical system, and that, you know, typically you can look cross-reference to other players in the league and go, well, he was drafting the second round. He was drafting the second round. That would technically be a second-round talent. The front office don't want to give that information out, and rightfully so. So every team is a little bit different. Every front office is a little bit different. So when you look at that and they see a free agent and they look and they go, we had a second-round talent on him. Okay, that would equate to this much per year. What's his best offer? Oh, man, he, his best offer is $1.8 million this year. His best offer is $2.3 million. I think he's got more upside than that. Throw him a little bit more guaranteed money. Let's get him at $3 million per and bring him in on a three-year deal. We'll be able to cut him loose because it's going to be front-loaded. We'll cut him loose before he's 31 years old if it doesn't work out. If it does work out, bang, we can patch this up. Now, I'm not going to list free agents that I think will be good targets for the Packers at the edge position. I'm not going to take the time to do that. Don't have enough time on this pod. Um, but I just wanted to mention 
that's how you're going to free up that money to fill these positions. Now, what are the top needs? Let's kind of recap as we've gone through this exercise. Top needs, safety, defensive tackle and edge, tight end, interior offensive line, and wide receiver. Those are my six needs right now going into this offseason. So at the edge position, let's take a quick look at the consensus big board and look at some of these edge defenders and who might be on the Packers' radar. I'm gonna I'm gonna exclude the top. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go through here. This is for the 2023 draft. Make sure I'm on the right right year here. The top rated according to the consensus big board. This is a bunch of different media outlets that put a board together. Here's what we think they're worth, and they've got projections of teams that they think they could see them going to. Number one on the list is Will Anderson. He's actually third overall on the consensus big board, but the top edge defender. Okay, number six is uh, Miles Murphy out of Clemson. Number nine is Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna wipe them off the board, okay? Them along with uh, actually I'm gonna keep him there. Um, those three guys I'm gonna wipe off the board. Why, guys? If they're available, you're taking them. If if this information lines up with the Green Bay Packers info, it it I just about guarantee you it does not. But just for an exercise uh, sake here, you know, from this standpoint. Let's assume that this consensus big board was exactly how the Packers board was set up. Okay. This is what I'd be looking at. Will Anderson has gone number one to Chicago. Miles Murphy has gone number six to Detroit. Tyree Wilson has gone number five to Seattle. So who's the next prospect available? Lucas Van Ness from Iowa, edge defender. He is 24th on the board. He peaked at 24. So he's 24 overall, but he's the fourth best edge defender according to the consensus big board. Okay. He's projected to go number 20 to Seattle. Guess what that means? At number 15, he would be available to the Packers. That's a name you might want to look at. That's assuming that this information, it's going to change, guys. The combine and the pro day is going to shuffle this stuff all to heck. I really like the pre-combine numbers for this very reason because you get – this is all based solely off of tape. This is based off of what we've seen them do on the football field. These guys are going to get out there in shorts and no pads, and they're going to run like freaks around a bunch of cones, and it's going to throw this board all to heck. Make sure you get a snapshot of this board before the combine. I think it's very, very important. Not to say you don't take the combine stuff into consideration. Absolutely you do. It's going to show you know raw physical ability compared to other people. But you can kind of reference back and go, yeah, but his, his tape must have been bad because of this because of this consensus big board. So just keep an eye on that. So Lucas Van Ness um, uh, projected to go number 20 to Seattle. He would be there at number 15 for the Packers. That's a name you want to look at. The next one would be uh, – I'm going to look at B.J. Ojolari from LSU, okay? He is 35th on the board, right? He is the sixth best edge defender, and he's projected to go number 29 to the Saints. He would be available on the board. Guys, if both of those guys are on the board, Lucas Van Ness – and uh, B.J. Ojolari are on the board, right, when the Packers pick at 15. And they've got B.J. Ojolari as a top-tier, a current top-tier talent on their horizontal board. Guess who you're taking over Lucas Van Ness? That's what I mean by how do, how is the Packers board structured, okay? It's important to take that into consideration. Um, another one is Nolan Smith. Nolan Smith out of Georgia. You know the Packers love their Georgia defenders, right? He's 36 overall. He peaked at 16. And he is the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh best edge defender, according to the consensus big board. They got him projected to go number 33 to the Texans. That might be another candidate. Okay. So I mentioned those three, jot those down and just follow along. Here's another thing go to YouTube and watch their highlight reel, right? Go to PFF and study their grade and see how they rank on PFF and see if those, one of those three defenders fit the bill for edge. 
Because I'm telling you, when the Packers pick at 15, you guys know I'm a Michael Mayer leader of the, the president of the Michael Mayer fan club, right? I've talked about we need uh, a great another great wide receiver to go with Christian Watson. We need two number borderline number one wide receivers. If Christian ends up panning out to be a number two receiver and we land a number one in this year's draft, thank God we did it. I mean, look at what the Minnesota Vikings did with Justin Jefferson. There was a lot of people saying, oh, they don't need a receiver, right? They trade Stephon Diggs, right? But they still got um, Adam Thielen. They don't need a number uh, – Justin Jefferson was a – current top-tier talent on their board, and look how it completely changed their offense. And I know it makes me want to throw up in my lap too, but you got to give credit where credit's due. Justin Jefferson is a real deal, right? Unless Jair's gritty and on him, which, whew, boy, that was, that was fun to watch. <laughs> so, with that being said, those three players at number 15, Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa, B.J. Ojolari out of LSU, Nolan Smith out of University of Georgia, if they are current top-tier talents on the Packers' horizontal board, they will take them. Because edge position is an elite position. It's the only elite position on defense. Could you imagine landing a top-tier current talent in the draft, and let's say you go into camp and you have a camp battle, a three-way camp battle between Preston Smith and uh, Kingsley and Igbare, J.J. and Igbare, whatever you want to call them, and then let's say you let's say Lucas Van Ness falls to you and he's looking like a stud and the Packers think he's an elite talent, right? You throw those three into the mix and have a three-way camp battle for the top two edge positions. I mean, that's that sounds pretty nice, don't it? It's that important of a position on defense. And I haven't mentioned it up to this point. And it's why I love going through the roster and doing this exercise because every time I come away going, man, I wasn't even looking at edge and it's important. Right. So if you come away and you fill that gap, let's say it's Preston Smith and uh, Lucas Van Ness that come out of camp and they're the best. Right. Well, now you've got a guy in, in J.J. Kingsley and Igbare who started a ton of games last year. He's got all that experience. He's in your bullpen now. And let's say this early round pick, Lucas Van Ness, B.J. Alari, Nolan Smith, whoever it might be, let's say they come out and they light it on fire and you got them lined up and now you got a great starting caliber three-man rotation. And then, whoo, let's say we look up and it's your record halfway through the season is, let's let's say it's five and three, right? Around five and three, around the halfway point, right? Okay, we've got a chance to make the playoffs, right? And bang, here comes Rashawn Gary back from injury. You work him into the rotation. Now guess what you're set up for? Next year, let's say that Preston Smith underperforms. Now you've got this top talent in Van Ness, Ojolari, or Smith ready to take over a starting or to continue that starting role. Rashawn Gary's back to 100% strength. And now you go to Preston Smith and go, hey, listen, bud, this cap hit's too high. we got to renegotiate. And if he says, nope, not going to do it, okay, here's your dead cap money. Hit the market, man. Good luck. Go get the money you want. Hey, if you get if you get offered less than what we were willing to offer you, come back. We'd love to have you on the roster. Now you've taken a weakness and turned it into a strength when it comes to a position. That's how the roster is built. It's very, very important. So one other player I want to mention. I hate the team he's on. I hate that I hate that he's on the team he's on in college or was because it's my favorite team and people go, you're just a homer, but this is how the board lines up. And I want to mention him here because it's it, you know, you look for things that stick out to you, right? On, on the horizontal board. And I'm starting to build mine right now for the draft. I can't wait for our draft party. It's going to be absolutely awesome. When you look at these guys, Will Anderson, Miles Murphy, and Tyree Wilson, they're in that top tier right now, that top 10 tier. Okay. When you look at the second tier, uh, according to the consensus big board, you have really four players there. 
maybe five. I'm going to say four. We're going to keep it in that range right there. You've got Lucas Van Ness, Isaiah Foskey, B.J. Ojolari, and Nolan Smith. Let's talk, talk about Foskey real quick. Foskey is rated higher than Ojolari and Nolan Smith, but when you look at the projection from the consensus big board, this is where they have them going. you got Lucas Van Ness going at 20 to Seattle. Then you've got Foskey going number 63 to Philly. Why is that? I wonder why he's, according to their projection, he's higher on their consensus big board, but he's going there. It, maybe he's a one-trick pony, right? Maybe he's one of those guys that's just strictly an edge defender and he can't play fire zone blitz. He can't play the run well. It could be. I haven't dug into it too much. I know Foskey had a great career at Notre Dame. It was fun to watch him play. But number 63 there. Ojalari's projected 29. Nolan Smith's projected 33. And then you got another one, uh, in Uzama from uh, Kansas State, who's projected 36. Derek Hall's projected 34. So the one thing that sticks out in this whole group, really, there's two things. You got three players at the top tier talent, then they're all jumbled up, and one's projected to go 30 picks less than the others in that same consensus big board group, right? And that's Isaiah Foskey. If he's projected to go to number 63, what if we took him at 45? Right. Let's say all the the current top tier talents are off the board when we pick at 15 and we have to go another route. We go with Michael Mayer tied in. Right. And it's it's I hate that it worked out to be two Notre Dame players. I really wish because people are just going to go, you're just a fan. You just want, you know, I would love to have Notre Dame players. But if you tell me that Foskey is a bust, I don't care who he played for. I don't want him on the team. Right. But it's just funny how this is working out here. Let's say you took Michael Mayer. Forget Michael Mayer. Let's say you went wide receiver. Let's say Quint, Quentin Johnston fell to you, right, at number 15. Bang, you took him. And then you came back at 45, and you got a guy that's rated on your board. Let's let's present it, Let's pretend this consensus big board matches up 100% with the Packers board. We know it won't, but let's just play make-believe here for a second. It's 2023. Everybody's playing make-believe anyway. Let's, let's do it here. So let's say that Foskey is your top – top talent on the board at number 45. He's not projected to go till 63, but you had him as a top 30 talent and you take him, bang. The same thing applies to any of these other top tier edge defenders. It means the Packers thought really, really highly of him. And now he's going to compete with that three-man rotation there at edge defender while Rashawn Gary nurses that injury. That's, that's how the draft board works. That's how the horizontal board works. Guys, this is the stuff I want to focus on. I want to focus on how the draft works how boards are created. Uh, I don't want to waste any time telling you guys that I watched the tape. And let me tell you something. This guy's first step is phenomenal. He's the best quarterback in the draft. Come on. You're going to get plenty of that. And that's cool. Let them do them. That's not what this podcast is going to be. It's going to be about compiling the data and allowing the experts to make the decision. I'm not here to try to prove how smart I am. It, it would take 10 seconds for you guys to realize I'm a moron. You can hear that in my accent already. <laughs> but... I just want to help people understand here is how the game is played. Here is how teams build the board. And along the way, we're going to pick up on these little flags like Isaiah Foskey. Why, why is he projected 63, but he's rated as a, third, a top 30 talent? That's weird. Let's look into that. Then you can dig into the tape. You can dig into the combine and go, okay, that's why he fell. Because I'm telling you, there was a player that fell last year in Kyle Hamilton. And everybody allowed that 40 time to drop him down the board. And what happened? I believe he was PFF's highest-graded safety in the entire National Football League this year, and he was a rookie, 14th pick overall. By the way, he wears number 14 for that reason. As a reminder, every day that 13 other teams passed up on him in the draft. I love the draft, man. It's draft season. 
it doesn't get any better than this. So we're going to get out of here. Really appreciate everybody's time. Thank you for taking the time to hang out with us here on this Thursday afternoon. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go Pack Go. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly. Has Watson. He's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown. That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him. It's just press, man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.